This is Suicide Zombies and Forgiveness, the pod for anyone who's lost someone to suicide, attempted suicide, or who has an ongoing battle with suicide ideation. We talk self-healing, choosing life, and tips to do just that. You and I both know life's a bit more complicated. Elaine's gonna give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's messy, it ain't all fun, it can hurt, and damn it, it's all we've got. Elaine says in every barn full of shit, there's gotta be a pony. It's Elaine with Suicide, Zombies, and Forgiveness. And I'm back today with a very cool dude. His name is Sean Dustin. Uh, I met him in Clubhouse. Now everybody's going, Clubhouse? Elaine, you're an Android girl. Yeah, well, uh, managed to get into Clubhouse, got some Apple bits so that I could check it out, and I have landed a really awesome dude that's going to give you some true and raw information that I think is going to be super valuable. So, Sean, why don't you give us a little bit about you? Well, first of all, hi, Elaine. Good morning. And thank you for inviting me to come on to your show and, you know, provide some some value and uh, a little bit about my story and my situation to your listeners and your audience. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, my name is Sean Dustin. I host a podcast called Nowhere to Go But Up. Um, and that came about way after my um struggles. <laughs> uh, there yeah. was quite a, quite a bit of them. And, and that's why Elaine reached out to me because I think you heard me and speaking in a clubhouse a room, um, touching on my story just a little bit. And it was, uh, you know, and, and I think why so many people resonate with my story is because it's not the addiction. It's not the prison. It's not all of those things. It's the fact that I came out about being an abusive person. Absolutely. And there's not a whole lot of people that do that, uh, especially men. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we'll get to that part, but um, that's really where I think Elaine resonated with, with my story. And a lot of people do because a lot of people struggle with that or know somebody that is that way or has dealt with that in the past with either, you know, somebody in their life. So we'll get back to that, but let's get to a little bit of the, the story and, you know, how I got to where I was um, or where I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come from where you were to where yeah, you are. Exactly. So. I grew up in an abusive household. Uh, my parents divorced when I was five years old. Um, they used me as a pawn in their game to get back at each other. Uh, so, I mean, that was really where my trauma began. Um, yeah. And the anger and, and the not being able to control the situation and just kind of being programmed by my father's side of the family to hate my mom. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, um, when parents do that, they don't realize at the time how it can affect your kid. And I became really angry. And so, you know, from the time I was uh, three, well, not three, by the time I was in third grade, I it was the first time I got kicked out of preschool, you know, wow. for, for doing, you know, I, I, 
there was some, I was, there's a school behind there. So my mom had to take a job in San Francisco. I'm from the Bay area, San Francisco Bay area. And we lived in the suburb called Pinole and she had to take a job in San Francisco in order to keep the house and, and buy my dad out and keep me in a familiar situation because, right. you know, she didn't want to disrupt my life any more than it already had been. And so she was willing to do that. But unfortunately, I would have to go to preschool, like daycare, and then also the, you know, the, the elementary school behind the daycare. So it was a perfect situation. Oh. And so there were some kids walking behind the, uh, the daycare from the field from school, and they were, you know, talking, saying whatever. And I picked up a dirt clod and I threw it at Adam and I didn't realize that there was it was actually a rock and dirt around it Ooh. and so the rock ended up hitting this little girl uh in the face and you know I wasn't intending for that to happen no. but you know and and a lot of the stuff that I I did and through my life throughout going through is unintended but I ended up getting in trouble for it um and so, yeah, that was the first time I got in trouble doing that and then she had to have me uh come got kicked out of there and then she had was forced to put me into the school that was closest to our house which made me a latchkey kid and i had to take in third grade i was taking myself to school and coming home and waiting for her to come home from work she worked in the city commuted so sometimes she would get home at six and she worked for a tax firm so during tax season she wouldn't get home until nine or ten o'clock at night and so i had the run of the house you know nobody could tell me what to do there was no supervision there was no consequences there was nothing uh if she said you're on restriction i'd be like okay well i'm gonna take the phone and put it off the hook and go out and play and come back and put it back on the hook. You know, I learned how to do things and get around things at a very young age yeah, yeah. and manipulate and, and all of those things. So, I mean, that lasted probably, you know, I went to, I was in trouble constantly when I was a kid, right? Even in in grade school, um, which this is where I learned to become so when I was in a third grade and I went to this new school uh, down the street from my house, I started getting a lot of attention from the older girls because I was a decent looking kid, I guess. Um, and so that's when I sort of learned like, oh, I have this thing. Power. Yeah, I have this thing that these girls will give me attention and all this other stuff at a really young age. So that like was a light bulb in my in my head. Mm-hmm. And I would use that um, to make myself feel good, right? Yeah, of course. And I could control that. And I can control that situation when everything else I couldn't control in my life. And so I used that, and that that plays out really big later on in my life. But that's where it started. And so, you know, I went through uh, grade school, was a bully, uh, would bully kids because I was angry and yeah. that was the only way that I, I didn't know how to express my anger other than acting out on it. Um, I ended up getting, uh, I bullied the wrong person and that person ended up beating me up and oh. yeah. And so that kind of stopped that sort of, um, yeah. it, cur- it curbed it. It was, it was really bad, but then that sort of curbed it and made it like oh okay well i probably shouldn't do that because i i don't want to get beat up again yeah and 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 it was in front of a bunch of people too 
Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to stop you there because there's something you said that's really kind of important. As kids, first of all, you had to have been a very bright kid to comprehend enough of what was going on that you turned to manipulation. Because there's lots of different ways kids can go when they're not getting what they need. And by you bullying other kids, it was your anger, your lack of cohesion, specifically from your parents, that led to that. But I'll bet every time you got in trouble for bullying, your mom got called. And yeah, it, yeah. yeah, so that became your, your comfort zone of getting your mom's attention. Hmm. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, because I was suspended quite a few times in school um, at, for doing that. Um, yeah. I would actually, so to go back to the other school that I got, you know, the third grade that I was in, um, the elementary school there, like I was so disruptive that they would put my, my desk was literally in the closet facing away from the other kids in the back. And so, I mean, that's really where I was. And then in fourth grade, there was another teacher that did sort of the same thing, but she wrapped my desk in corrugated paper. Uh, you know, that corrugated stuff yeah. that is almost like a barrier around everybody. Yeah. And so I was like imprisoned in my, in my, uh, oh. and so like, there's just this, all of this thing that's just enforcing that I'm a bad person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so if, when you, you are what you think. Absolutely. And so I just, okay, well, if that's what I am, then that's what I am. I I might as well be it. And so, and then also too, like you said, probably I'm getting attention, negative attention from my mom, you know, because she's hardly ever there. She's working. And I mean, not, not, no, I have no fault to her own. You know, she was doing the best that she could with what she had. And I wasn't doing any, doing her any favors either by, you know, all of the acting out that I was doing. So fast forward to, junior high i ended up getting expelled from junior high uh, in seventh grade um i had bought a a a butterfly knife from somebody at school for 15 dollars, and i was playing with it in class when the teacher in between he was out outside waiting for kids to come in to start the class and i'm playing with it he comes in i put it away i miss my pocket and it falls on the ground oh clank 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 and so he's like, what is that? And everybody's like, ooh. And so I ended up getting in trouble, getting expelled, moved yeah. to my dad's um, uh, and up in Sacramento because uh, my mom's like, well, you know, it's your turn. You try. Yeah. And yeah. that didn't work out. I ended up flunking out of the seventh grade there, went to summer school, got kicked out of that summer school. He said, I'm done with you. Sends me to my uncle's down in you know, the South Bay. Um, San Bruno, like by the San Francisco airport. Uh, I go to school there, but all the time I'm, I'm the new kid, the new kid, girls, 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 girls. Okay. And I'm learning how to manipulate even more, how to get what I want out of them. All right. And I think I've already started, uh, having sex by this point and already, and that's like, you know, 13 years old. No, no, no. I haven't started, I haven't started having sex, but I've started like, you know, making out and doing all that stuff. Right. Haven't had sex yet. Um, it was, so I ended up getting kicked out of that school too for fighting and some other stuff. 
went back to my mom's um, and I managed to, so I flunked out of the seventh grade, but managed to get into the eighth grade when I went to my uncle's house. They, they okay. put me up, they put me up a grade. And then when I got kicked out of there, it was halfway through my eighth grade year. And then I went back to the school that I got kicked out of to begin with. They let me back in. Uh, my mom begged and pleaded them to, to let me in. Right. They, they did got suspended another five times, got 39 referrals, wow. 30 plus referrals to the office. Um, like, so I was just acting out constantly. Yeah. Right. Um, at, by this point I'm, I'm taking my mom's truck from the BART station, uh, you know, and, and joy riding it around and then taking yeah. it back to, I mean, all of these things that kids shouldn't be thinking about. Like I figured out how to find her key. Well, I found her key because when she, there's no supervision when I'm there. Right. And no. so just like the first time I tried marijuana was she, she took my Walkman away from me and hit it. And when she was gone, I just ran, I ransacked her room and, and found, found it. it. And I found some marijuana too. And kind of knew, yeah. And kind of, I didn't, I've never did it before. And this was probably when I was in the fourth or fifth grade, I tried this. Um, oh. I saw that, there was a bong and it had that charring on it. Right. And so I yeah. figured, well, maybe you put it in there and you light it. And so I tried it. I did it. I jumped on my skateboard and I rode straight down this hill that I would never ride down and all the way to the bottom. Cause we lived on an incline hill. Right. And, yeah. uh, that was sort of my, like, wow, this is a super, like it takes all my fear away. Yeah. All right. So that was the first time I did that. Anyways, so back to um, going to this other school, they let me back in uh, and then halfway I'd been suspended all those times and referrals and everything else. Um, I had, uh, they finally, they called me in three weeks before school was out and said, you know what, go home. We're not suspending you. We're not, we're, we just don't want you here. And so go home. Uh, we're going to socially promote you to the ninth grade. I had straight F's. And so there I go. I had, you know, I didn't care. I was like, whew, three weeks of no supervision. To you, it was a gift. Yeah, right. But still reinforcing that I'm this bad person. That, yeah, absolutely. And so that, uh, I did that. And in that summer, uh, before I went into the ninth grade, I had had sex for the first time. And I'd stolen my mom's car. I never got caught for it, hardly ever. I think she found out like one time. But I had been doing it like like she would go to sleep. She would go to the bar, come home. And when she started snoring, I knew that she had been drinking and that she wouldn't be able to hear anything. So I would go open up the garage door and then back the truck out because it was a stick shift. Yeah. And it was like a little little Toyota pickup and back it, roll it down the hill and coast it yep coast it down to the uh to the next cul-de-sac and then start it up and go and then when i would come home i would hit like 60 and then turn it off and coast right into the into the driveway and do all that right so these are the kind of things that i'm doing and learning at a young age well one thing there okay again that takes such ingenuity it's it's so sad that 
your school time was wasted because you're obviously incredibly bright to get all of that during all that time were your parents still fighting about i mean after like i i used to go to my dad's every other weekend until i started getting older and once i i left there we kind of we kind of stopped sort of seeing each other um regularly and then something else another incident happened where i had i don't know what how old i was um i don't know what period that was but i remember and this is girls too all right there was a girl that i want i liked up there and so i figured out i took the bus uh i took the greyhound figured out how to take the greyhound and went up up to where she was took the bus to his house he wasn't there i hopped the fence and i knew how to get in because i'd lived there right yeah the neighbor spotted me and called him on the phone little did i know that my grandmother was on her deathbed in the hospital he had to come up here he had to come up to get me and she died on the way as we were on our way back and so he blamed me, which he should have. I mean, I was the reason, but I had no idea that. that whoa, was. whoa, no, 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 no. You were still a child, and all of what happened, all of what you did, was based on how you were treated, what the reactions were to what you did. So it was not your fault. It was not his fault. It was how it had to be. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, don't take that on. Well, I mean, I, I'm not really taking it on. It's just that's that's how it played out, and that's how yeah. he perceived it, and that's how he treated me afterwards Absolutely. because of it. So I mean, it was like whatever. Um, and so that where I was now is in this the my freshman the the summer leading up to my freshman year. So I ended up sleeping with this girl. Didn't know that she had a boyfriend. Um, he was a gang member. Ooh. And I, I get a call right before we're supposed to go to school. Maybe we'd already started school. Um, he leaves a, a message on our on the answering machine, which is a tape, right? Yep. Yep. And so I take that tape to school the very next day because I'm one of the I'm unlike a chameleon. I can hang out with all of the different groups, yep. right? I went from yep. every wedding. I, I was friends with everyone. And uh, I went to my gang member friends and I go, hey, listen to this. And they go, what? Let's go. Let's go get them. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. And so we end up, you know, at lunchtime, we go down to the other campus of the other school in the next town over. And by the time we get there, there's three carloads of guys. And... I didn't know that that was going to happen. I mean, I just was, I just wanted a couple of people to come with me to confront yeah. the dude. And the next thing you know, there's all these guys. We start walking down to the convenience store where they're, cause they have an open campus. So we walk to the convenience store that everyone goes to. And we, I see her and him walking up. She darts. He probably should have done the same, but he didn't. Yeah. He continued to walk towards us and we surround him in a circle and he starts reaching in his pocket and before he even can get anything out somebody comes from behind me and hits him and then he ends up getting pinballed between 
between the the circle and then he makes his way up to the convenience store and uh gets met there with somebody else gets hit a couple more times they pick him up and they throw him onto the counter drag him across knock everything off the counter he finally gets a hold of his knife and he slashes my friend across the face oh my um, god and so all of this is on camera too oh, of and, course and but i was nowhere i was nowhere i'd never touched the guy i never nope. did anything right but I ended up getting charged. That was my first time, uh, my first incident with the law. I got charged for inciting a riot. Inciting, yeah. And so uh, that's where the law enters my life. Um, I get put on probation. Um, and then the following year, my sophomore year, is when I get introduced to methamphetamine, which was crank at yeah. that time. Yeah. And so I start using that, and um, that's a whole nother story. Uh what ends up happening there is that I violate my probation, end up going to juvenile hall, um, get in trouble again after I get out uh, because I was just staying up all the time. I wouldn't go to sleep and I was just chasing, trying to find this drug, running away, um, just like out of control. Yeah. And so I ended up doing in 151 at the boys ranch. Um, and then what, ends up happening from there is i think this is around thanksgiving time and i get a, a pass for the holiday to go spend time with my family on thanksgiving and i run and i take money out of my grandmother's wallet and i go to the bart station take bart and have somebody pick me up um at a bart station near where, where i grew up bart is like the l for the, um, yeah like the L in Chicago, right? The elevated train. Yes. Yes. Similar. Um, and so I stay gone, you know, disappeared for about three or four days and finally turned myself back in, uh, finish out my time. And I got more time added to me because they considered that an escape. Yeah. And so it added another year to my sentence, um, get back out, yeah. uh, start still, um, still end up screwing up, didn't change anything. And finally they, uh, they give me an option to where it's like, you either do nine months in juvenile hall or you're going to go to a drug rehab and for six months. And I'm like, okay, well that's co-ed, right? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, I'll go there. <laughs> you know, yeah. cause I could probably survive a hell of a lot better there. And I was raised by women too. So you gotta, Absolutely. you gotta understand that that's sort of like, I, I, even today, I'm more compatible with women yeah. and uh, than I am with men. I got, I have men friends, but I'm more comfortable around women. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, get, go figure. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I found them easy to use. I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up going there. Uh, and what they don't tell you about a residential treatment center <laughs> is that it's not based on time. It's based on progress. Yeah. And so my six months turned into 16. Wow. And so that took me into like when I was 18 years old. Um, I was manipulating my whole way through there. Um, I would do yeah. things like have we were allowed seven dollars a week. We were allowed seven cigarettes a day. I gave I talked to one of the Emancipation House guys to buy me packs of cigarettes and I was selling them for a dollar a piece. Oh to the clients that were there. So, I mean, I was literally taking all of their money yeah. and 
And so that's one thing I was doing. I found a way to get into the kitchen and sweet talk the Maria. Oh, Maria. Maria. <laughs> I would go in there and I would sweet talk my way into helping her cook. And all everybody there was eating something, you know, that was on the menu. And I'd come out with hash browns and an omelet and all this stuff <laughs> and, and, and sit right in the middle of everybody. So they'd have to look at me eating the better stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, there it is again. Power know, play. Power, right? I'm figuring out how yep. I can have power over people and make them think certain ways. Yep. Um, finally, I ended up, well, and I also took one of the girls out of there and got on BART, used the money that I'd made, got us on the BART train and the bus. And I had, a, and I had this, this camp above my house because we lived in the hills so there was a tent up there there was a you know a sleeping bag and there was all this mm -hmm. other stuff that i'd have had up there and i took her up there and had my way and you know when i was done had went, walked down when mom got home and said hey i'm i'm here you can take us back now oh wow wow so i mean i <sighs> sex was a motivator for me right <laughs> Sounds like it. And uh, I used it quite a bit to my advantage when I could. Um, and and there, there it goes again, manipulation. You know, people yeah. were not people in my mind were not people. People were assets and people were yes. means to an end for me. Yes. Um, and I get what I need from you. And, and when you don't serve me anymore, I, I throw you away. And it gets and a lot worse as I get older. <laughs> Yeah, but let me stop right there because that again is like so important. Because I think as a child, that's what you felt your parents did. Mm. So, in order for you to, you know, make your way through life, well, then you just use them up and spit them out too. Mm. You I modeled what that. you knew. Yeah, I never looked at it like that. Good point. Sorry to interrupt you there. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you shed some light on something I never looked at. Oh, um, good, good. So I go back, um, and at this point, I'm like, all right, well, I'm never going to get out of this place unless I start doing what they want me to do, um, which is getting real, uh, buying into the program, um, you know, crying, uh, you know, feeling remorse for what I did, all of those things that show that you're progressing and your behavior starting to change. And so I bought in and I started excelling quite a bit. I ended up, uh, you know, I, I got my GED and I'm like, I don't want that. I want my diploma. So I went and got my diploma, uh, wrote some, some essays and got a few scholarships from my writing. Um, I ended up was doing outreach work to high school kids and telling my story. And then like I was their poster child, right? Yeah. Literally because I'm doing all these amazing things and, and like getting letters back from the students and like, man, you really, you know, all that stuff. And so they asked me to uh, make a speech at this, uh, the airport Hilton, there was a like 500 legislators and educators at a conference there. And so I, I that was the first speaking engagement that I ever had, which when I was 18. And 
so I mean, yeah, I mean, I was on my way up, right? Ended up yeah. getting a job um, at a professional theater company building sets for them. So that was my first job that I had. Uh, I went to the Emancipation House. I didn't go back to my mom's. And from there, I graduated from that and then moved to my brothers, who I didn't realize is now my sister. And going through all of that there, and then also, you know, I get in trouble with the law for the first, for the second time as a first time as an adult right. in another situation where I didn't do anything, but I was just there. I was the oldest one. And there was some 17 year olds that went and beat somebody up with steel toe boots. Oh. Um, and I was the driver, but I didn't know that that was going to happen, but it ended up happening. They came, ran in the car and said, hey, let's go. And I'm like, what? what? And yeah. so we go and the cops come and I go to jail, get my car impounded, which my mom had co-signed for, right? Because oh. I'm still using her, you know, I need yeah. a car, I need all this stuff. And, uh, and and there's a lot of other things that I didn't even involve in this where she you know, paid for an outward bound program for me. I ran that truck into the house at one point. Um oh trying to teach somebody how to drive because we've done some other stupid stuff. And so like I've caught, I cost this woman so much money yeah. growing up. And, uh, so yeah, we're at, um, Oh, we're at the rehab. So I ended up moving from there. I couldn't deal with it any longer. I was like, you know, I told her I was going to kill her, uh, because I didn't understand. It was just really weird for me. Yeah. Um, and this was before it was even accepted. Right. Yeah. And so I moved back to my mom's. Um, I have a girlfriend at this point and I met her through some, and she's broken too. Uh, I, I was amaz amazing at finding broken women. Um, Let's find lids that fit. Ah, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh. Not mine. That's uh, someone my son calls a holistic missile. That's one of her gems. Okay. Okay. So here, here is where it really starts getting interesting. Um, so I move, I, I move back to my mom's me and my friend who I used to do meth with or crank with decide, well, you know, let's get out of here. Let's go move somewhere else. Let's move up to Sacramento. Um, I have money saved up from the, from the job that I had. I quit that job. Um, and we move up to Sacramento, get an apartment, um, get a job and we're doing okay. And I've, the, the neighbors downstairs do crank and we find it again. Oh no. And so we're off and running. Uh, the girlfriend comes up, uh, says she needs a car. She's got, you know, 3000 on a down payment. Can you co-sign for me? And I'm like, sure. Why not? And so I co-signed for this car for, her, um, but you know, sometimes they'll let you go off the lot with a car, even though that's not financed yeah. and we couldn't get it financed in anything. And they had to call it back. Oh. I go, I go down and pick it up and drop it off. They put the money, they, they put the check in my name and I spent all of her money. Of course you did. And that forced her to have to come and live with me now because that was going to be money that she was going to get a place for it with down there. Right. Yeah. So now there's the first, there's another thing, 
you know i i I don't know if i did it on purpose or or i don't think it was meant to to be like that but it just happened that way tempting yeah and so she ended up coming and living with me and that was my first serious relationship um we ended up having a falling out with that with my my friend over drugs and girls and you know all this other stuff because her his girlfriend used to like hanging out with me we weren't doing anything but we just got along really well and you know we would go out when we couldn't sleep and go play pool at the pool hall and you know just just we were just friends and uh so he couldn't handle that and so we ended up getting a fight and move i moved out of there uh we went to another place i went to a couple of other places um i'm working not doing drugs and then i run into another friend from school who's who knows who knows where to get drugs at a at at a like at wholesale and so Uh i was like oh okay well let's step it up yeah let's let's start selling it because i don't want to pay for it anymore and so i have friends that go to school that go to college in chico and so i'm like you know it'd be a great idea is if we took this up there during finals and they and because they want to stay up and cram and and and, and do all that stuff and so we did we'd get an ounce and we'd go up to chico and i'd stay gone for a week and this is before cell phones or pagers or anything and so i would just disappear for a week at a time and my girlfriend would be stuck there you know not knowing anything where i'm at i'm cheating on her i'm doing all kinds of stuff um and uh making tons of money up there because they don't understand that, you know, instead of buying a gram, you know, with four quarters or five quarters, whatever it is, they just said, let me get 2020s. And it's like, oh, this is retail, retail heaven. And yeah. so I was, I was a business person before I even know, knew what it was. Right. <laughs> and so that was happening. And at some point I ended up coming back. Um, I talked to, I I'd gotten introduced to strippers because there's strip clubs up there. I went to my first one and ended up realizing like, cause I put them on this pedestal, right? Oh, because they're on okay. stage yeah. and it's like, yeah. they seem like they're untouchable, right? Like, oh, they're beautiful. And I'd never get one of those. And I figured out how, cause I spent enough time in one. Of course you did. Yes. And so, and I still had a girlfriend, right? And I had this girlfriend over there. And so I had finally, you know, hooked up with my first stripper and I was like, dude, these are just regular people. And they're, they're broken too. Yeah. They all got kind of issues. And so I talked my girlfriend into, I said, maybe you should become a stripper. And I, I talked her into doing that and she ended up, like she was tired of, of my bullshit anyways, or BS, whatever you want to say. Um, and so I had talked her into this. Uh, she had said she was going out with her friend one night and I was like, ah, there's something funny here and it didn't make sense. And so I went and camped out at her club and just to see what she does and where she goes afterwards. And she walks out with a bouncer and she's making out with him at the car. So I, I found out, Oh, this is like, it got done back to me. Yeah. How does does it feel? And so I didn't do anything. I didn't want to fight the dude. It was enough that I knew. I called her friend and said, hey, the gig's up. I know what's going on. Uh, The very next day when I'm at work, 
because uh, I'm working at a Marie Collender's, which is a, a restaurant. I was a food server. Yeah. Somebody somebody calls and wants to know if I'm working, and I didn't put two and two together. And when I get back to the apartment, uh, the locks are changed, and I, all the all of her stuff is gone, including my because I had a marijuana grow room way before that was even popular too. Yeah. And all of my equipment was gone. Um, but how I got in is I scaled the, uh, I scaled the uh, balcony and I just ripped the door off of the, the off of the hint, the thing, the glass, the sliding glass door. Got in. My dog's gone. The all oh. the equipment's gone. Most of the stuff in the apartment's gone. She left all my stuff. Um, so I had cleaned out everything of mine and what was left of her. She had like some, like a couple of bags of clothes. And so I threw them all on the floor and I bleached everything, bleached oh. all the carpets. Um, and then as soon as I walked out the door, we were on a second floor. I, I busted the 50 gallon fish tank and, and flooded out that oh. and it flooded the downstairs apartment There's, too. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, nothing was in my name. And so. Uh -huh. And I was also friends with the manager and had, and after we had, and she was this cool chick. And so, you know, there's women again, you uh -huh. know, figuring <laughs> out how to sweet talk my way into this. She knew exactly what happened. She knew what I did. And she was like, yeah. well, nobody else knows. So, you know, I'll rent you another apartment. And so I had my mom co-sign for me again. Wow for this um and got me another apartment uh and then at this point is where i really started learning how to sell drugs i remember this was a really pivotal moment um i had how i had gotten some money because at this point when i was living there i was doing three jobs i was working as a uh a fitness trainer in the mornings i was working at a restaurant in the afternoon in the evening so i get my food there and then i was a bouncer at a nightclub at night and so like i was able to exercise eat and part and party and and get yeah. my women and so that lasted for about three months and then i burned out yeah i quit all of them um sorry, sorry. oh no it's all right Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries, man. Um, and so, yeah, I, I stopped doing that. And then my friend at the time, he was he his girlfriend was a stripper, or his ex girlfriend was a stripper. And he goes in my new in my roommate at the time because I needed to bring in a roommate to help with the pay the bills when I um, when I stopped working for these places. Yeah. And I was starting to dabble in sell selling drugs again, um, but what what he he had offered is he's like we were all sitting down and we're like damn we need to make some money or we're gonna lose this place and, and all this yeah. other stuff and so he came up with this idea and he's like well my my ex has cash in her in her at her place oh. and she has this quick can that's that's a false quick can right you know the false thing where you can put money in yeah so we come up with this plan that, you know, no, none of them have money and it's like, all right, well, how are we going to get into this place? Right. Cause yeah. and we don't know how much money's in there at all. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll buy the lock pick set, Ryan. Well, well you, you're going to be the one that actually goes in and does it. And cause that's your part. 
and he's the one and and you know the other guy is the one who brought it to us so now we all have equal parts that we play in it right and so he goes he comes back uh he does it uh we open up the quick can and there's like twenty thousand dollars in there and so we we split it three ways which is what is that uh seven times three is 21 so it's like six six and change yeah and so that kind of floats us for for a while right and we start living on the high hog right getting nice clothes getting you know fitting ourselves up um and i'm hanging out in strip clubs more now um i'm selling drugs in there and then we decide to get a limo one night and go to one of the big clubs in the uh, in the area where like the the professional mm-hmm. basketball players hang out. And my right. my roommate actually is a bartender there, and oh. so he's at work. And we roll in in a in a limo, and everybody's like, "Damn, who are these people?" You know. So we go in, get the VIP treatment. He's a bartender, so I can go. Hey, put this on my tab, or send the girls over. Hey, go put it on my tab. So right. live in this facade, right? Wow. And so there was a, a beef with some somebody that I didn't know, and I had a like an entourage with me, right? Right. So I, I I had some like maybe ten people that were in my group, and maybe four of them were girls and six of them were guys. So this dude was having a problem with somebody, and he looked like he was a cool dude, and so they're getting ready to square off, and I come through behind him with my six dudes, and I'm like, hey, what's the problem here, man? you guys got an issue and he was like yeah what's up man what yeah now this you know so basically i came and saved his ass yeah and he invited me back to an after party after that and then me and this dude so guys it doesn't happen often and it's called and they call it a bromance yep right and yeah. it, it, it only happens a few times in a guy's life where you connect with another man in a way that like you, like you're inseparable. Yep. And that was me and this dude. And so we, I started selling Coke for him. I started selling all this stuff for him and getting really involved in the game. And at one point, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes along with this, but in, just for time's sake, we're going to skip through that. Um, I ended up, uh, learning a whole lot and moving around a whole bunch. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm using women even more, uh, figuring out cause I was like having after hours at my house all the time. Right. I moved from that apartment into a townhouse cause I needed a bigger space to be able to host people for yeah. these after parties. Right. And so more manipulation, more women, more sex, more drugs, more, all of that. Um, and at some point I end up with this one stripper and end up in a relationship with her and I get her pregnant and we had to go. uh, And then I ran into across somebody in a, in a, where it was going to be, I had had an issue with someone where it was going to either be next time we saw each other, it was, he was going to wind up dead or I was. And I had never really, I was always a big dude. Right. And yeah. nobody had ever challenged me before. And so I'm like, well, I know that I'm probably going to lose this one. So we need to move. And yeah. you're a stripper and Vegas has a lot of strip clubs. So I think that's where we need to go. Ooh. And 
<laughs> because I don't want to work and you can work and make a bunch of money and where I don't have to work. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we moved to Vegas. Uh, we, you know, have the kid. Um, she, she's born in on leap year, which is February 29th in 2000. Yep. Um, that relationship goes to shit because I'm starting to become abusive now. All right. Not physically, but just emotionally, verbally. And I think that was playing out in small parts before, but it was really starting to take shape in this relationship. And at some point she was getting tired of it. Um, I moved out, um, moved in with a friend of mine that had come up from, from California and he moved in with us and then moved out. That's a whole nother part of the story. Um, and so I moved in with him and around the time, uh, my daughter was 18 months old, we were still in, in contact. Uh, my ex wanted to go back to California for Christmas. She asked me if I could drop her off at the airport in her truck and then I can keep her pathfinder while she was gone. And, um, she didn't tell me she didn't have any insurance on it that she'd let it lapse. So I went out, I went out on Christmas Eve and got, I went to a club and was taking GHB and blacked out. And, the last thing I remember is turning onto Flamingo, going towards Boulder Highway, and I ran right into a telephone pole or a light pole. Oh. Any further to the left or to the right, I would have ran straight into the liquor store in the corner. So, I mean, I got saved. There's a yeah. whole other story that goes with this part, but, you know, for time's sake, we're just going to run through it. Um, so anyway, she ends up, uh, petitioning to have my rights terminated as a, as a parent because of oh. it. And I got served the papers because I got a DUI um, maybe three months down the road. And so I got a DUI and I'm in jail, um, which that's a whole other story too. everything that transpired from that one. Um, And and I was just a violent dude, man. Um, I I had gotten pulled over. I was leaving a strip club uh, early in the morning and I had been drinking and I took something else and like everything kind of just hit me all at once as I was driving. I thought I, I thought I could make it home. And the cops, you know, they said when, when I read the police report, they said, well, when we came on side of you, my head was in my chest and I was still driving, but I was asleep. And so they, woo, hit the lights. And when I looked over, they said, I waved at them and like, Hey, how's it going? And I pull over and when they pull me out, I could, I couldn't even stand up, right? I couldn't stand up on my own. And so when I, when they pulled me up, my head nodded back like this when I was on the sidewalk and they, they used that to beat me up because they said I tried to headbutt the cops, which, and so they, they proceeded to like stomp me out pretty bad to where like when I came, like I knew that something had happened and they knocked me out unconscious and when I woke up in the back of the car at the police station, I was furious because I was like, dude, these people just violated me. They beat me up for no reason. And when I got into the uh, the booking, I was taking my shoes off. I was throwing them at the cops. I was you know, throwing my jewelry at them. And one had and I wasn't and I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, handcuffed. 
And so, and it was a, it was a portable building. So it wasn't concrete. It had that floor that had a little bit of give to it. And so when another, when a cop started walking by, I just lunged at him and went to hit him. And, uh, I got dropped and, and, uh, slammed on my head and ended up in the hospital. Um, well, I woke up in the hospital because they had to go and make sure that they didn't do anything, any serious damage. But I've had a couple of, um, TBIs that up to this point that somebody said that, you know, when you have traumatic brain injury, that plays a big part in everything that I'm talking about. Absolutely. And I didn't realize that until I was telling my story and somebody picked it out. They're like, Whoa, wait a minute. You, what you're, what you're explaining sounds a lot like TBI. Yeah. And, and the behavior that comes after that. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll think about it. And so, anyways, I wake up in in, in the hospital and uh, I get in trouble. I get served the papers to you know that my uh-huh. rights are being my rights are being terminated. And when I get out, I could go and contest it, and I just abandoned her. I said, you know what, she's better off without me, and I'm going to get out of paying child support. So good on me. And but. I had moved to Phoenix. I took a job uh, in Phoenix and I figured, well, if I do a geographical, things are going to change, right? Yeah. Stayed drunk the whole time because I was grieving the loss of or what I did to my daughter, you know, because yeah. I did spend 18 months with her. Yeah. And, and so um, I was grieving that, come back to Vegas, um, move in with some friends. Uh, they're going to move to California. So I'm like, damn, I need to figure out what to do. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, well, I know one place I can go. So I got a job as a bouncer at a strip club. Of course you did. And because I know that there's broken women there that I can use. Uh, Yeah. And so I did, I found one and unbeknownst to me, she was a meth head. And the first time I come over to her house, she's rolling a pipe, smoking, smoking meth. And I'm at the door and I'm thinking to myself, walk away, walk away, walk away. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I walk right in and I pick it up and I start all over again. And that's, that's the beginning of the criminal enterprise that I started. Uh, Because I, she was working and I was working and I ended up losing that job because the owner was pissed because I was screwing her and he couldn't. And so he fired me and you know, and so I ended up, all right, well, what am I going to do now? We'll sell some drugs. And so I had some people that I was dealing with. Yeah. I had some people I was dealing with and I was getting ounces and quarter pounds and of meth. And I was employing, um, other addicts that were slammers, the guy, the intravenous drug users, you know, cause, cause they had a problem. I didn't, you know, my life was, my life was a lot better because I'm not on skid row. You are. Yeah. And so I always looked at myself as like I was better than them. And so I employed them. I had them going out and doing smash and grab robberies at uh, stores and businesses. And I had them breaking into homes and bringing me everything. And I would pay them in drugs. I'd supply them with the vehicle to do it to the point like I would literally I changed the color of my vehicle like three times. So they would go, they would do it for a month. I would change the color, put the ladder rack back on, 
they would go do it again for another month. And then I would change the color again, take the ladder rack off. And I was making a lot of money. Um, well, I was not a lot of money. I was making a lot of things, <laughs> Okay. you know, and I was having to fence the stuff off. And it's kind of like where I really learned, you know, how to do other parts of crime. Cause I couldn't sleep. Like I would literally stay up for three days at a time trying to figure things out. And this is where I realized that I was ADHD undiagnosed because meth focused me where, and it wow. almost like, have you ever seen that movie limitless with Bradley yes. Cooper? Yep. That's what it was like for me on meth. It was like, I had all of these abilities to see everything and it was all clear and it was all in line. Yeah. It wasn't scattered. And so I would literally, I was, counterfeiting hundred dollar bills. I was making checks. I was doing all this stuff that I'd learned how to do on my own, just from trial and error and doing other stuff. Um, but at some point the guy that I was getting, uh, my drugs from, he had gotten in trouble. He set me up with a CI, which is a confidential informant. And I was selling, I made like five controlled buys to an undercover. So they were, they were, they were surveilling me for a good month. And yeah around this time, like I had a bunch of guns that I had gotten from these robberies and, and all this other stuff, you know, the serial numbers had been filed off of them. Um, and so I was like, there came a point where I was like, man, you know what? I, I feel like my time is up. I feel like something's going to happen. Um, that sixth sense started kicking in, even though I was jacked up on drugs all the time, I still felt like something wasn't right. And so I got rid of most of the guns. Um, I didn't get rid of all the stuff, but I got rid of the things that would get me in the most trouble. Yeah. And at one point, and so one night, uh, probably a week later, I would say a week or two later, um, it was probably about three o'clock in the morning. I'm working on a hundred dollar bill. I got a friend with me in the back room. My girlfriend and her friend are asleep in our room. Um, the, 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 the TV and the stereo are on hella loud in the living room. Uh, there's like 39 speakers, 40 speakers from hooked up, you know, like a tweaker yeah. would do. Um, and all of a sudden I hear this boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh my God, we're drive by. Right. I thought someone yeah. was doing a drive by on me because the doors closed. All I could hear was the stereo on in there. I don't even know how they were sleeping through, yeah. through my stereo. Um, but the cop, the cops had come, they were raiding my house and they thought that since we were all the noise was in the living room, that that's where we were. So they concentrated their firepower there. And so when I, I grab since I think we're having a, a getting a drive by, I grabbed the gun that I had left. It was just a little small 22 Derringer. Um, and I open the door, tell my friend to get on the ground and I open the door. There's a hallway that I have to go down. And at the end of this hallway to the right is the front door. And in front of this front door is one of those big screens. You remember the old projection screen TVs that were like yes. six feet tall and 3000 pounds. Yep. There was one of those sitting right in front of the door. So the door couldn't open all the way. But as I came around the corner with the gun at my, at my like calf, like as if I was going to come in and as soon as if there was somebody there, I was going to shoot them and I see the SWAT shields. And so they can't see me though. All right. Okay. And so I ditched the gun behind the TV 
and I dive on the ground, put my hands on my head, and they proceed to hog tie me and everything else. They were pissed when they got there because what they didn't realize was so they slugged the the deadbolt in the back to get into the to access the sliding glass door. They shoot a flashbang in and a concussion grenade into there right from the back the front flashbang that they were going to shoot in they didn't realize it is double pane glass windows and i had tint on the inside so that flashbang went through the first pane but bounced back on them and blew up on right. them oh the police dog got scared and bit one of the officers oh and so so they were pissed when they came in man by the time they were oh, like yeah. this this mother effer we're gonna get him Meanless to say, I mean, I'm all—I could have died right there because yeah. if they had seen that gun, that would have been it. Lights out, and that was the fifth time that I almost died in this whole thing. Right, three yeah. of them were drug overdoses. One was the crash that I had, which, yeah, didn't do anything to me. I bounced back out and ran across the street and got a Gatorade right after that happened. Um, and the and the uh, the the clerk at the store was, thought she'd seen a ghost. She was like, "Oh my god, you just came out of that wreck!" And what are you doing? That, like I said, there's a whole other story that goes behind that one. Um, so yeah, I ended up going to jail. Um, I didn't get in trouble for the gun because they were pissed at me and I was talking shit to them. Uh, and so they picked me up while I was hogtied, two of them, and then they rammed my head into the TV and pushed the tv up over the gun and they didn't found they never found it they there never found go. they never found the drugs uh because i had them up in a tv vcr combo above the like in a corner hanging mm -hmm. uh above where the dogs can sniff and smell and yeah. so they let me out three days later on my own recognizance because i didn't have a criminal history so i came right back looked to see if i had my money and my drugs i had them was able to liquidate move the whole operation somewhere else um and this time i stopped selling drugs but i started doing fraud and there's a whole nother part to this story that where i go on a crime spree and get taxed by a dude who says he's a hell's angels uh, when i get back um and what i ended up doing with that i talked the dude out of out of, you know, hey, this is stupid. Um, you know, I'd made a bunch of money and my roommate at the time, she never calls us. And we went from Vegas to Amarillo on a crime spree and made a bunch of money and came back. But on her way back, she's like, hey, when are you guys going to be back? When are you guys going to be back? Just kept calling persistently, right? And I was like, geez, something's wrong. And so I went and hid the cash before I came to the house. And they, uh, when we get there, we start smoking some meth. And the guy, there's two guys there and her friend, our roommate's friend was trying to make bones with the hell's angels. So he was trying to get, get recognized. Right. Wow. And so he set, he set me up and this guy comes in, he pulls his gun out and he has it on his lap and I'm like, Hey man, put that away. And he's like, no, you don't understand what's going on. Get on the floor. And, uh, they separate me and my girlfriend and our stories match up. And I was like, almost like, dude, are you sure you're a Hell's Angels or not a cop? Yeah. Uh, you know? And so anyways, I was like, well, dude, you're stupid because if you want to do, and here's the manipulation, even in yeah. that instant, right? Yeah. I knew what I needed to do to get him the, the F out of that house. Right. And so I'm like, look, this is stupid what you're doing. All you're going to get is a Cannondale, a nice 
a, a nice bike and maybe some fireworks that we brought back from uh, from New Mexico. And if you were smart, you would work with me instead of doing this. I'll forgive this if you if you leave and work with me. And he's like, OK, that sounds like a deal. And immediately once I got him out of the house, the very next day, I went and uh, purchased a shotgun uh, in the assumed identity that I had stolen. Um, yes. And and it went through. Uh, my mistake was, is that here's women again. I wanted to screw this one chick. And so I went and got a hotel room and I was cheating, cheating on my uh, ex, uh, with this girl. And the very next day I wanted to do it again. So I used the credit card and the ID that, cause I paid cash the first night and I used mm -hmm. the credit card and the ID the next day. And what I didn't realize was that in Vegas, if you're in a weekly they send your your information to metro yeah. to make sure you're not a fugitive yeah well here was my big mistake i used a black person's uh, id and so and put my name on there because it was the only one that actually went through of all of them that i was using it was a black right. dude and i was like all right well i guess i just got to roll with it right because i got yeah. credit cards coming in that name and i got all this other stuff coming in that name and so yeah i couldn't you know, they, they saw that it was a black dude and my picture didn't match that picture. And so, uh, the very next day I went and picked up the gun cause I was going to kill this person. Literally I was going to kill him and, uh, something intervened and I ended up getting busted because the cops were waiting for me. I didn't put two and two together when I said, Oh, well, your new room is going to be ready in three hours. And I'm like, it's 11, it's 11 o'clock. I should have, I should have put two and two together, but yeah. I was more interested in going to get the gun and didn't think about it. And you know, the, the, the opportunity that I might get to screw this chick one more time before I go home. And, uh, so anyways, they were waiting for me and that was the end of it. The, the cop was the same cop that came in the first raid with the fraud and forgery division. Right. And so he knew he was like, dude, I know you've been on the run for three months now. And I remember your last place and I guarantee you have more stuff at your new place. And he's like, so I'll forgive all of this and we'll charge you for it. What you got here now, if you take me to your house and give me everything that you got. Wow. And I'm like, I was so tired. I was just, I just wanted to go to sleep. And I didn't give it, I didn't care how long it was going to take. Cause I knew by the time it was like, it was noon. I'm like, I'm not going to see a bed until probably maybe midnight, midnight. or maybe not even the next day. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, so let's just get this over with. Cause I want to go to sleep. And so I took him to the house, uh, gave him all my stuff. He didn't care about the drugs that my girlfriend had there and all over the place. They just wanted the fraud and forgery stuff. Like I was right. making social security cards. Um, I had a sheet of them that I had printed out and they literally didn't believe that I did it. They're like, who'd you, where'd you steal this from? And I'm like, I didn't steal from anywhere. I did it myself. I, I didn't need to steal it. And so, yeah, that, that happened. But what I didn't count on is that the, he had a, a secret service guy that was doing a ride along with him. And uh -huh. so he picked up all the federal charges, which was the gun. Um, yeah. and in that, uh, that SUV that I rented in that person's name, yeah. um, there was a box that somebody had given me and in there was 30 different, uh, credit card numbers that I had no idea that were there. So they charged me a 30 counts of access device. And, uh, I, I'm already on the run, so I'm not getting out of jail. Right. No. And so I'm bartering with my, my federal or my state stuff. 
and I'm realizing that the the because I'm smart, right? I'm I'm in the law library and I'm reading up, you know, um, on you know the process and and all this other stuff. And so they need to on that one. It's a drug charge. So I got five yeah. five counts of trafficking a controlled substance. I knew that if I waived my rights to a speedy trial, that their backlog for testing the drugs was so far behind that I could beat it. And if they don't have the drugs then they have to dismiss the case. And so I did that. I just said, dude, do you want to rave your rights to a speedy trial? And I said, absolutely not. I want to go to trial. You got 60 days to, to bring your, to, to bring your a game and I'll see yeah. you then. And I used the public defender. And this is where I realized that the public defender and the DA work together. Yeah. Uh, it's not, they, they're not there to help you. They are there to help convict you and get you through the system as quickly as, po- as, yep. as quickly as possible. So they keep that conviction rate up and they keep that federal money coming in. Right. And so I caught him in a lie. It was my trial date and I'm, we're set to go. And I'm like, they're like, well, we're going to have to push it for a week because uh, I'm going to be on vacation uh, on that day. So they were trying to buy themselves some more time to get the drugs. Yeah. And so I was like, no, I can test this. This is not what I'm agreeing to. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? And it wasn't then the dumb the dumb public defender called me on the day he was supposed to be on vacation. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, aren't you supposed to be on vacation? He was like, Oh, well, uh, 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 and I'm like, you're fired. <laughs> and I hung up on him and I called my mom and I'm like, Hey mom, I didn't want to have to call you, but they're trying to string me up for two to 15 years on a first felony. Yeah. Yeah. And I caught these people trying to, trying to, trying to hang me out to dry. And I need you to come down here and get me a lawyer. And so she did. And I ended up getting a 15 to 60 month sentence, which they actually wanted to give me. It was recommended that I get a 12 to 36, but the judge was pissed. She was pissed that I knew like I was playing them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I caught him. And, and so she didn't like that. And she was like, you know, and one thing that she said when she when she uh, sentenced me is she's like, sir, you are a predator of the worst kind. You know, like you preyed on people that had an issue and acting like you have an issue. And, no, no, I do have an issue. I was just yeah. I just knew how to it. it how to it manipulate. Wor- well, how to manipulate. But the issue was, is that the drugs made me a super criminal yeah. because it focused me. Right. Whereas I all these other people couldn't you know, they can't function with it. They're like, you know, running around making messes everywhere and not finishing anything. And so she goes, I'm going to give you, I'm going to go beyond the recommended time and I'm giving you 15 to 60 months. And, and that's it. And it was supposed to be running concurrent to my federal sentence and they made it to where it wasn't like she, she fudged something and made it to where I had to go do my state time first. And then they released me to do my federal time where I was supposed to go do my federal time and the state was supposed to run concurrent. And so she did something and screwed me on that one. Um, but whatever, I mean, it was only 18 months and I paroled out and then I went and did my federal time, got out in 2004, um, went back to my mom's, uh, had PTSD from the entire experience. Cause I'd been jumped a couple times while I was there. I'd had to, I'd had to, I'm a big dude. Um, so I had to, you know, tune some people up, 
you know, child molesters and, and stuff like that, because if I didn't, then I would have ended up getting beat up. So I had to decompress for that. You know, I stayed drunk for about six months when I got out to the point where I had DTs and I was drinking a fifth, a fifth of alcohol a day. And, uh, finally I just like, you know what, dude, snap out of it. You can't do this. And I stopped cold Turkey and went through the, the withdrawal symptoms in my room, in my mom's house, shut the door and just got over it and stopped. And then I started doing okay. Uh, but I ended up, um, getting with a woman and marrying her and married for the wrong reasons. I was, I didn't, I knew that I wasn't done going down the road subconsciously because my, my thinking was, well, the girl that I was with that I kept from going to prison because I took all the blame for everything. Right. Even to the point to how I had this, the room set up and everything else. Like I'm the only one that had keys to the locks on the doors and nobody else did. And so when I said, no, this is all mine, they don't have any access to any of this stuff. It was provable. They didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so they let them off. And I took the blame for everything and she ended up screwing me over and stealing all my shit and uh, never putting money on my books or anything. Right. And so I was like, well, that's not going to happen again. And this the reason why is I'm going to marry somebody. And if I go back to jail, because somehow in my mind, I don't think that I was done. And I knew that I wasn't done, even though I was trying to convince myself that I was, um, you know, I ended up getting married to her for the wrong reasons. I met her in AA um, as I'm trying to kick the, the, yeah. the alcohol, right? Which you're not supposed to do. I was just going to say that's a no-no. I yep. understand that is a no-no. Yep, that's called 13th stepping and you're not allowed to do it or you shouldn't ah. do it. And there's only 12 steps in the in in the alcohol in the 12 step program and that 13th step is when you get a newcomer and you start a relationship with them. Yeah. Um so anyways, uh I end up getting a job with my union that I'm still with as an apprentice. Um but 2008 hit and the financial crisis, I stopped yeah. working. Everybody actually stopped working. Mm -hmm. uh, most people did, I mean. And so I had $450 a week coming in from unemployment, which, you know, was a maximum amount. I had tons of time on my hands. My girlfriend was going to work every day. So I was like, started venturing around to people that I used to know. And I found crank again. I found meth of again. Of course you did. And I started uh meeting up with other people in other areas and i'm like ah oh, i could just start my shop all over again and so i started doing check fraud again i started making ids again i started um and and i was like all right well i started hooking up with these other folks and i'm like you know what i'm just gonna i went awol for my marriage i just disappeared i left and I didn't answer my phone. I got new phones um, and nobody could find me. My mom couldn't find me. My my girl, my wife couldn't find me. And I was gone. Yeah. And so for three months, I was uh, doing check fraud and, you know, screwing any girl that I could, um, you know, using women, doing the same thing that I, this was my this was my space. Right. Yeah. This yeah. was my familiar area. Right. I knew how to operate here. Yeah. And so I, I recreated it. Yeah. And, you know, um, finally, 
and then I started, I knew that there was this other kind of fraud out there from doing, you know, the limited credit card fraud that I was doing um, in, you know, on that one crime spree that I did where I made a bunch of money. So I was like, all right, well, I know that you can buy the plastic. I know that you can get the, that has the encarded, the, the thing on the back, the mag stripe to the card printers where you can print the bank logo and everything else on it to the, you know, all the things that you can do. I know that's a, that's available out there and I want to do it. And so I hooked up with my buddy who I was friends with before I went leaving left to go to Vegas, reconnected with him and started, you know, Hey dude, this is what I want to do. Can you, can you assist me or figure out who, who I know, you know, people. Yeah. And he did, he knew the right person and, wow. Here goes another. This is my second bromance because me and this dude, me and this dude clicked like nobody's business, man, to the point like where all the people he'd been dealing with were like, who is this dude that's just coming in and, and listening to like you're taking orders from him and you're the dude and you're the dude. Right. Yeah. And but we just got along really well. And, you know, I, I was, you know, like I'm a loyal person, man, like especially if you if you do me right, yeah. I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to do, do right by you, yeah. you know, maybe not women or maybe not people that I, I, I figure as a mark. Right. Yeah. But to people that teach me something and bring me in and, and, and add value to whatever it is that I'm trying to do, I'm going to reward that with loyalty, you know, cause that's all I got right at this point. Yeah. And so, uh, he, he, he teaches me how to do everything, um, teaches me how to get the, get the cart, the dumps from Russia, um, uh, how to pay for it in Bitcoin. Um, even to the point to where we were, we knew how to get people's social security numbers because, you know, we would get all of these numbers and then I would go and get the social security numbers for them because when you go to check their account balances, that's what they ask for is the last four to prove that it's you. Of course. And so we had balances on a spreadsheet of all the cards that we had in, in what were active. Right. And we were doing this on a massive scale too. Um, like we're, if we would have gotten in trouble for it, we probably would have got recode for it. Um, and so like we had a place where we were pressing everything out and making the cards. And then we had another place, uh, where we were, you know, do, getting all the information. So right. if one place got, got busted, we didn't lose everything. And that lasted for a while uh, until he decided he wanted to try and change and go with the girlfriend that, uh, you know, that he was in love with. And, you know, he was really above, like she was way out of his league, but, um, for whatever reason, I don't know, he, he was trying to sa salvage that. And I ended up having to go back to the relationship that I abandoned because I got nowhere else to go now. Right. right? And I'm on federal supervised release while I'm doing all of this, right? And I had done a violation uh, and went to a 90-day treatment center. And since he had a bit fictitious business, um, I was able to say, hey, I got a job. And I was able to get my truck and leave there. Like after about three weeks or a month, I was able to leave there every day and come and I would go to the city. And I would be high doing crime all day long and come back. And um, 
I ended up taking some GHB one night, nine days before I was supposed to get out. I'd kept this up. Right. Yeah. And, and almost, almost pull it off. And I screw up and I take some GHB, I pass out and I, I miss curfew and I come back and like, I'm, I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm really high. And I'm like telling, Hey, I, I make up this stupid story. Um, you know, so outlandish. And, and when I get there, they're like, all right, well, you got to take a drug test. Well, I had had synthetic urine cause I carry it on me all the time. And so I, Pissed or, uh, well, I was super dedicated because when I when I yeah. would steal somebody's identity, I would know everything about you from your phone number, your your date of birth, your social security number, your address, your phone, everything about you to your ID number. And this will play a part a little bit later because in 2010 I got arrested, um, and so I go I go back and I pissed I, I piss clean. And, but they're like, dude, there's something funky about this. Yeah. We're going to, we're kicking you out because we're tired of your manipulation. First of all, and you running around here doing whatever you want, manipulating, yeah. um, you know, running my own program, doing whatever I want. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, and, and I'm a toxic person. Right. And that plays out even later. But I mean, this whole time I'm just becoming this super toxic individual full of myself. My ego is fucking like almost like super narcissistic. Yeah. Right. But the, the thing that saved me from being a complete narcissist is I had empathy. I didn't lose that. So when, I, when I wasn't high and I would think about the things that I'd done, I'd feel bad, you know? And so that was my saving grace with that. Absolutely. Um, and so, my PO was like, screw this. You're, you're, I'm violating you again. Um, you're going to go do 90 days in a, in a, in a, a contract facility, which is basically a, a jail. And, um, I, what else ended up happening, man? There was some other stuff that ended up happening in between. Um, but so I got six weeks, so I got to turn myself in. Um, I'm with my, my ex, she, I have nowhere else to go. Right. So she takes me back in after I, I, you know, get kicked out of this thing. I try to convince everybody that, uh, well, you know, I don't know what the problem was. I'm you oh, know, yeah, it's their fault. Yeah. It's their fault. You know, you know, this, 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 and that. And so she wasn't buying it. Cause she's an, she's an, an alcoholic. Right. And so she's like, dude, nope, you've run me through the, through the ringer to the point where I, I don't even care. Um, you know, I don't want to have nothing to do with you. And I'm losing control. Yeah. I'm losing control of my environment and I'm grasping at anything. And since I'm a, I'm, I'm a toxic person, I'm a bully and I'm, I, I'm trying to bend her to my will and it's not working. And so we go on a high speed chase cause I'm chasing her down, trying to convince her that things are going to be better. I, I promise this time it's going to change. We end up hitting some traffic. She pulls over. I pull over. And she's like, dude, if you don't, if you're going to kill somebody or kill yourself. And I think the funny thing is, and we're going to touch on, on suicide here. I was trying to kill myself this whole time. Yep. And I was just too much of a coward to do it the right way. And so I was hoping, you know, in the three, the three overdoses that I, I went through and didn't kill me, the you know, the, the behavior and everything else, I was hoping that at one of these points I wouldn't wake up again. Yeah. 
And I didn't realize that until afterwards. And when I die, when I'm in prison, kind of like going through my whole life story and like, you know, trying to connect the dots and everything else. Um, but every time that I did think about it, like when I, when I overtly thought about killing myself, cause I did, because yeah. I figured, well, you know, I got myself in a jam now, it would just be easier just to just disappear and go away. Um, I think I was too much. I, I would always tell myself that I'm like, well, dude, you'd be doing your, you'd be doing the world a disservice if you, if you disappeared be, and that's how, like, I thought that I was God's gift to women, God's gift to the world. Like I'm this amazing person that has all of the, the grandiose things that you tell yourself when you're a narcissist. Right. And so I would just go, nah, get out of here, get out of here. Let's get that thought, get away, get away, get away. I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> that's, that's not a, that's not an answer. It's not a choice, but I had been uh, subconsciously in the past trying to do it. And so it was, it was so crazy to me when I, when I actually put those things together. And so anyways, we're on the side of the road, we're on the side of the highway. And this is the point where I go, everything needs to change. And so I'm on the side of the highway. I'm trying to convince her that I, I love you. I, it's going to be different. I promise. And I'm bawling uncontrollably in my hands on the side of the road. People are honking as they're going by, um, you know, because we're in traffic. Right. Yeah. And I've kind of float up above myself and I'm looking down at myself and I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, you're so pathetic. Like, look at you. You're sitting here on the side of the road trying to beg somebody to to take you back and things are going to be different. Like, wh like wh who are you even? Like, who are you? And so from that point on, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be doing six, uh, three months. I got six weeks to turn myself in. I don't want to be kicking in, in a, a, a place that I have no idea what it's oh, even yeah. like. And so I don't want to be vulnerable when I get there. And so I stop, I stop doing drugs. I stop smoking and I turn myself in. I'm clean. I get out and I stop hanging around with the people. I keep it going. Um, I think I go back to the, to the AA or whatever. I go back to the girlfriend who hesitantly takes me back, but I have nowhere else to go. My mom doesn't want me back. Um, you know, I can't live there. I burned the bridge there. So she yeah. felt like she had no choice. And so I do come back. And I know that I have to do better because it's like, I got nowhere else to go. What am I going to do? Right. I got no money. Don't got nothing. And so I start playing adult slow pitch softball to kind of get away from the, you know, the, the people and the other things like find something else to do. Right. They find, find a hobby. Yes. And, and so I do, and I start playing, I have a good time, but I don't like the league that I'm playing in. And this is the pivotal moment where things really start to change for me. So I go, well, you know what? Why don't I just start my own league? Mm -hmm. And I figure out how to get in contact with the city and get everything in, in a row, even from insurances to all this other stuff. I get six teams lined up wanting to play in this new league. So I've got, I know that I can cover the, the costs and everything else. I do it. It's successful. And then a light comes on like, oh, hey, that's how you build self-esteem and confidence yeah. because and in the right way, because I can be proud of this and I can tell people about it in the things that I was doing before. I could never tell nobody. No, no, <laughs> that that is such a good nugget 
for people to take away. When you're doing something that you can share with other people without fear of reprisal or jail or death, then that is definitely the road to your salvation. And I just want to take a moment here to say it's incredible how A, resilient you are, but B, in terms of you talking about being a narcissist and, and going through all of the bullying and the manipulation and what have you, I think you need to celebrate the fact that you took all that and completely turned it around. No, well, thank you. You're I, didn't welcome. Cho- I, I didn't have a choice. Well, I did have a choice. I, yes, I could have not. I could have not. Um, but there was there's other things that, that played into this. So from there, I was like, oh, OK, well, if I can do this, let me try this. And yeah. so I, I tried something else and I was successful at that. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to get on the rowing team now in my union. And then from there, it opened up doors to where I was the sergeant at arms at the union. And then I became a, a, a trustee. And then I was on the executive board for two years, which are all elected positions. Right. Yeah. And so I'm just leveling up, leveling up, leveling up. I ended up getting a job um, when I finished my apprenticeship. I went from being an apprentice to a journeyman. And three months out of apprenticeship school, I get hired as a superintendent, which is the highest you can go. But what I didn't realize is in 2010, I stopped using meth. um, But the substances are gone, but the behaviors are still there. And you have to be able to work on your behaviors in order yeah. to change or yeah. else you're just a dry drunk. Right. Yeah. You know, that yeah. guy that's not drinking, but he's still an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That was well put. Okay. So that was me. Right. Um, even though I wasn't doing a lot of the things I went to prison, prison didn't do anything for me. It just made me look good on the outside, which helped my manipulation even more when I got out, because now I yeah. look like this amazing body and, and everything else but the toxic person is still there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so this was really kind of the beginning of like, you know, I did that. I ended up. um, So in softball, I would always try to fight people. Right. Cause the anger was just coming out and all over the place. And so I, I was doing that. I ended up with an injury and got on hooked on opiates for another seven years right? Which I stopped doing six months prior to me starting my podcast, which was, it'll be two years in May of this year. All right. So I had to, if, if I was going to be talking about any of this kind of stuff, right, I had to, I had to stop doing all of that because how am I going to be authentic and transparent if I'm still using pills I'm still, you know, whatever it is. So, um, and in between this too, I started listening to podcasts probably three years prior to even me starting one. And I'm listening to Joe Rogan and I'm listening to all the people that he like Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, and all of these amazing people. And my mindset starts to slowly veer a different way because I'm hearing this in my earbuds every day for 14 hours sometimes. And it's nothing. I'm, I'm not listening to anything else, but this, And so it starts to change my mindset to where I don't want to be a piece of shit anymore, where like, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I shouldn't do that. And I don't I can't explain it. But that's what happened. And so 
Joe Rogan always says, Hey, you should start a podcast when he's talking to his guests. Well, I mean, I thought he was talking to me. I'm like, yeah, so I, yeah, I should. That's why he's so good. Yeah, I should start a podcast and that's what I'm going to do. And so I did. And what I realized is, is that I wanted to, to have a show where, you know, nowhere to go but up because I've started from zero three times. Who better to have a show named that than me, right? Absolutely. And so I wanted to tell, have people tell their stories of how they went through bottoms and life struggles in their own life and how they got through it. And what I started to realize is that things that I was still struggling with, like self-sabotage, um, anger, and all these other things, I would leverage my show to bring on guests to talk about that, that had experience yeah. in it from life coaches to me mental health counselors. And so that was helping me through it. All right. Um, I'm still an abusive person though, and that hasn't changed. And my relationship, I, I, I now have a daughter, uh, a younger daughter. So she's almost, uh, she'll be four in August. So this is where it all kind of comes together. And I got a nine o'clock, so I got to speed this up a little bit. Um, it, uh, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a rage. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a physically abusive person, but the things that I did do, okay, were, I would shove you. I would check you if you're walking by me. Anything that I could do that wouldn't cause a, a mark on you that you could call the cops and, 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 and put me in jail, I would do. Um, yeah, I was just a, I was just a very, very, very manipulative. And that was part of a manipulation too. I'm Absolutely. bending you to my will. If you're not going to do what I'm, when I ask you to do, if you're not going to do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to make you do it in any way that I possibly can. Yeah. Meaning if I can't beat you up with my hands and I'm going to beat you up with my words and I would take your issues and I would use them against you. I would do anything I could to, to beat you down. Yeah. And I'm not saying this in a braggy way. No. This is just, my, that was my reality. And that was the reality for any woman that was with me at, at, at this period in time. Yeah. So I'm in a rage. Um, I'm yelling at my ex. Uh, my daughter's behind me and she's about two years old now and, or two years at the time, maybe. And she disappears. And I was like, it, it was enough to, to make me stop. And I'm like, Oh, where'd she go? And so I go looking for her. And she's in the furthest part of the house, um, cowering, crying, hiding. And the uh, the thing that, that went through my head at that point was, I wonder if this is what I was doing when my parents yes. were fighting. And hold on a second. Yep. And, and um, that was hard for me to see. And Sean, I have to say to you, that's so commendable because you had a choice. You could take that and make it better, not just for her, but for you. Or you could have gone on being the bully and acting out your anger because that's all you knew. And the fact that you stepped up and did that for her and for yourself speaks to what a wonderful core you had through all of that. There was a good person in there 
who truly got beat down as a kid. And that kid, I think you have started healing. That kid, you. Yeah. I just, before we go any further, I just want to say thank you because you are so real and you own every single piece of it. And that's a wonderful lesson for you to share. Thank you. Uh, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't, you know, been a, a, a an easy road. But it was it was in seeing that where I go. You know what? If you're going to stop the cycle, it's going to be right here, right now. And I don't want I don't want to be an example of somebody that my daughter looks back at and goes and gets in the same situation years down the road and should leave and is like, well my parents used to do that. So it's normal. And so I didn't want that for her. So I, you know, there was one more incident after that. Um, and it was when we were, we, we were already split up and we tried to come together to take her to see Santa and we were back and forth and she's in the back seat. And from out of nowhere, two and a half years old, she's like, stop. And so I'm like, no, no more, no more. And so what ended up happening is I'm talking about all this stuff, right? As I'm going through it and I'm taking my, my listeners on a journey of my kind of evolution Mm -hmm. and, and, and learning like how I'm learning, you know, real time. And the one thing that I, I, I realized is that I didn't come out about being an abusive person up, up front. Mm -hmm. It took, it took a while. Um, And, but what I found out was, is that the more I talked about it, the less power it had over me. That's right. And that I was like, oh, okay. So if I just keep it in the forefront, then I'm aware of it. And the self-awareness starts kicking in. And as the feelings and the triggers start coming up, I'm identifying them. And if I don't, I still know that it's there. And so like the best example I can use is like two months ago, I had a road rage incident where it wasn't bad, but it was still like one of those things where I'm like, ah, damn it. I thought it was gone. Yeah. Pop back up again. (laughs) And, uh, but that was like, all right, well, all right, well, don't, don't beat yourself up. What was going on at the time? What are you not talking about? What are you not dealing with? Yeah. What's, and I, and I pinpointed everything and I like, I dissected it and reverse engineered it. And I'm like, okay, so these are the things I need to pay attention to. And so it's literally just, you know, learning and learning about the brain too. So yeah. in, that, in that whole, that whole thing, you know, my, my ex, I would, I would hit her on her weight and, but I struggle with weight. And so what I really realized it was, okay. I was just projecting my own feelings of myself onto her for my own hatred of me. Yep. And when I started realizing how the brain worked and how that, that, that subconscious worked, even from lying, cause I would lie about stupid shit, even though I didn't have to. And yep. it was because I had this auto response that had been built in from years of behavior that I had to undo. 
and most people can't undo it because you don't realize you're doing it unless someone's calling it out. That's why therapeutic communities are so successful because they, because they have confrontation groups where you literally have all of your peers calling out all of your character defects. Yeah. And they're making you aware of what you do. And the more you're aware and the more you get called out, the more you're able to change them because you realize what you're doing ahead of time. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And quickly, your, your reaction time is so much less because you become aware mm -hmm. because the brain, okay, dopamine and things when your responses are negative, when they're violent, when they're angry as a person, it still gives you the dopamine because that's your comfort zone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's really hard to give that up because you yeah. know what? We're addictive personalities and that's just another drug. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And so I took it even a step further and I started realizing that not only was it important what we put on our mouths for our health, but what we watch and what we listen to. And so I stopped listening to mainstream media. I stopped watching the news. I unplugged from, from the TV altogether, like cable. And I started listening to nothing but podcasts and, and documentaries. I started feeding my brain about things. And yeah. yeah. And then, uh, the other thing that I, I started doing is, and I thought, and I think that this is probably one of the most important things that anybody can do is don't try to give your kids the life that you wish you had, teach them the things you wish you knew. Oh my God. Sean, that's gold. Wow. That is absolute gold. I didn't come up with it, but it was a meme that I saw and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. It took my breath away. It just took my breath away. I, I have to say, well, first of all, I could listen to you all day. <laughs> and to that end, I would really like to have you back so that we can look at some of the pieces in your life. And you can share some of the lessons that came much later, later, excuse me, because there's a, there's so much more to you. We, we are, as the holistic missile says, we are onions and, you know, you peel back layers and there's just more layers, but there's so many good lessons. And, you know, as, as a lifelong learner and as someone who's, pretty close to a female you in terms of the abusive bit, I would say, uh, yeah, we, we have a lot to teach and a lot to learn. And I'm going to leave your audience with some high notes here. Okay? Perfect. Perfect. And so the daughter that, um, that I gave up on abandoned, uh, yes. she contacted me um, probably a month ago and we're, trying to work on building a relationship and getting to know each other. And so that's, that's healed. It's, it's on its way to healing itself. Yeah. Um, I was able to start a nonprofit organization um, called it's nowhere to go, but up Inc is what it's under, but it's going to be called the nowhere to go, but up project. And that is going to be centered on building a housing facility for transitional age, youth males, 18 to 24 specifically. 
um, who are coming out of incarceration and reentering society or as a alternative to sentencing um, to try to teach them all of the things that I learned and how to become a whole person holistically, um, how to create content, how to podcast, because podcasting is the one thing that gave me my voice back when I didn't think I had one anymore and gave me that confidence to be able to reach out and talk to people that I would never, ever think about being able to talk to before. Um, And to, you know, I just got invited and will be going down to a huge show uh, to tell my story um, in Florida at the end of the month. And they've got like 400,000 subscribers on YouTube. So that's really going to be helpful in pushing my message out and, you know, getting, you know, further things that I want to do, which is like being coming a speaker and talking to other people and, you know, business owners on how to change your mind shift or your mindset and how to not be an abusive person because business owners are abusive people. It's not all of them, but a lot of them do because you have to, you have to use your, you you think you have to use people in order to get them to do things for you and, and especially your employees what they don't really understand is that the rising tide raises all ships so you want to teach your employees to be just as good as you and in, in the hopes that they'll stick around and if you treat them right they will not only that if you hire people that are smarter or as smart as you are those those are the people that will help you lift yourself as well. Yeah, for sure. A book's coming. Um, I need to do one of those and, and all that stuff. I mean, everything is kind of like working itself out. <laughs> and, and it's, I think it's wonderful that you're doing it as you're doing it because that real time, real learning can be so valuable even more so than you know coming along behind and saying well you know that was then this is now this is what i learned back then you're still offering up what it is you're learning as you go Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and that's raw and real and to me the very best way that other people can learn what you're offering i don't want to know your highlights i want to know your lowlights yeah because all of the magic is there. Absolutely. It isn't Absolutely. in, you know, your your highlight reel on Instagram of, you know, all of your achievements. That's not where that's not where the magic is. The magic is in the struggle. It absolutely is. And I have a friend who also says that you must have failabrations mm-hmm. because that's what helps you go forward. And if you're gonna fail, fail forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Fast and forward. Exactly. Yeah. Well, for now, because we'll do it again, I want to say thank you ever so much, Sean. You have been an amazing guest. All our information about Sean Dustin and how to contact him, etc. will be in the show notes. So make sure you take a look at those as well. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you to the audience. And as I like to say all the time to everybody, make the very best of your today every day. I want you to choose life and I want you to keep breathing. See you next time. Bye. Bye.